your old gas yard tools have met their match. Right now, the Home Depot has Father's Day savings on the Ego 56-volt cordless trimmer and blower combo kit, just $249. It has the performance of gas without the hassle. It's two powerful tools powered by a 56-volt lithium-ion battery platform, and right now, it's at a price no one can match. Today is the day for doing with the Ego Trimmer and Blower Combo, just $249, only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing, while supplies last. This week, we journey even further into hostile terrain as David sits down and interviews Matthew McLean and Colin Gray of Hostile Worlds, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that celebrates and showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your guest host, James Oliva, filling in for David Reinstrom. Last week, I introduced you to the first episode of Hostile Worlds. Now that you've had the opportunity to let its brilliance wash over you, this week, you'll have the honor of joining David in rummaging around its creator's brains, a place, as David finds out, to be considerably less hostile than the planets the show visits. Let's take some time and learn about drunken first impressions, the endless fun of creating soundscapes, and the benefits of knowing where you are actually going. I'll see you when you come through the other side. Colin, Matthew, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you very much, David. Great uh, to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I wanted I wanted to talk to you, start off by saying, uh, or by asking, what what is the origin of Hostile Worlds? Matthew, were, were you already working with Colin at the podcast host when you and Robert produced Kraken Mare? Uh, yeah, we were. Yeah, um, that was back in sort of the winter, winter of two thousand and fifteen. But um, yeah, we're we're producing that then, and um, yeah, we'd always Colin and I had always talked about doing a podcast that was just like fun for us. You know, um, it's it's sort of easy to get bogged down in the the business world sometimes, and we wanted just to do something that sort of leaned on my skills I suppose as an audio drama producer and Colin's also got a background in astrophysics so we thought um, it was quite a unique uh, thing that we could maybe put together and create Hostile Worlds so we, we sort of went ahead and 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 did it without much without a huge amount of um idea how it might have turned out but um we're, we're definitely very happy with it so <laughs> Colin how, how did the two of you meet? <laughs> Uh, there was uh, there's a conference running in um, the UK. David, it was uh, it's called UK Pod. It's actually defunct now. Um, they they turned it into another show called um, New Media Europe. But back in the day, the very first one was UK Pod, and I went along. It was the very first podcasting event I'd ever attended. Actually, really good fun, really good group of people. And at that event, I was at the evening. Uh, do on the first night so we'd had the first day of talks okay i was at the evening do you can probably see where this is going i can and uh <laughs> and uh, i was talking to a group of people and everyone was like you know we'd been there a couple hours but everyone was still you know just one or two drinks in getting merry and then suddenly i'm sure i was kind of shoulder barged at one point by somebody turned around and there was these two guys just stoning all over the place uh 
one of which turned out to be Matthew. The other was uh, Robert Cudmore involved in these things. Uh -huh. It turned out that two of them had basically tanned all of the uh, the alcohol in the hotel in the first hour or so of this evening event and uh, managed to uh, insult, who was it again? Was it um, Everyone. Yeah, but into the internet business mastery guy, Jason Van Orden in particular. <laughs> I don't know if I insulted um, that, him. I just didn't, I didn't know who he was and he was the keynote. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, and uh, yeah, so that that was my first experience of Matthew alongside his uh, his sidekick at the time, which was Robert. Um, but it was very friendly. It wasn't a you know a violent uh, a drunken meeting. It was just a slightly inebriated um, first impression. And of course, he hasn't changed that since. So yeah, Matthew, do you have any memories of that encounter? Uh, hazy memories, I suppose. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good night. Um, Robert and I had, uh, I think we got the train down. I think we'd had, we'd had eight or nine tins on the train. Um, that was the day before actually. So yeah, but it was a, a good night in the bar after that. And I, I do kind of remember meeting Colin. So glad that uh, I obviously didn't put my foot in it that much that he didn't end up giving me a job. So All's well that ends well. <laughs> I didn't connect it well enough, I think. Maybe if I'd uh, thought it through, the, yeah, yeah, Podio guys, is that who it was? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was what was your first actual encounter on a sober playing field? So I, in about 2015, so that was UK Pod 14, and that was, as I remember, Matthew, was that toward, it was towards the end of the year or was it right in the middle of the year? It was late summer, um, um, August. Was it late summer, time, right? yeah. Yeah. And so towards the end of that year, I started looking at, um, I was finishing up my uh, doctorate at the time and I started looking towards uh, what I was going to do after that. And basically I decided to jump into podcasting because the site, uh, the podcast host, the, the site we run, it was starting to do pretty well. It could support myself, certainly. And I found some funding for it as well. And basically that gave me the opportunity to take somebody else on. So I was looking for a staff member at the time. And uh, I just thought back, I was trying to think of who we could try and take on because I quite fancied getting somebody into the studio, somebody to actually work in person with. And there's not exactly a whole lot of people working in podcasting or even with any experience of podcasting at all in Scotland. Um, and so that was just what uh, brought it to mind, actually, the fact that I knew um, Robert and Matthew were based in Fife, which is just south of where I am in Dundee. Uh, and so I just got touched. I emailed, I think, didn't I, Matthew, and asked if he fancied doing some contract stuff. So I was taking on some clients, basically. And Matthew and I just had an arrangement whereby he would arrange it. He would do an episode edit for me for a, for a set fee. And we did that for about probably six months or so before actually meeting again in person, I believe, as my memory serves. Is that about how you remember it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we were both, you were doing your PhD at the same uni because in the, in the winter I was going and studying sound production. I was doing my degree in sound production. I was working on the golf course in the summer. But um, yeah, we were, we were at the same university, basically. And that was Aberté? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So so I think we probably met a few times while we were at the uni. But yeah, it was kind of a, an intermittent thing around that point where you were just doing an episode every now and again. And then it came to the point, was it uh, 2015, wasn't it now, where um, I had the chance for a, basically a full-time job came up. And we met and had a chat about it and turned out, lucky enough, you were up for it. And that was that was where it led to where we are now. Colin, I want to ask you, when you were an undergraduate at Edinburgh, what drew you to study astrophysics? To be honest, I, I, I'm glad I did it 
uh, because I do, I am interested in space and physics in general and stuff. But do you know what? I, I went, I studied astrophysics because I was basically, I was good at physics at school. Uh, I was expected to go to university um, because I'd done pretty well at school. Uh, and and basically the only career guidance you would get back then, which was like 1996, I think it was, uh, was, oh yeah, let's go to university. If you get a degree, that'll get you a good job. Uh, and that was that was it, basically. <laughs> it wasn't any thought about what job you actually want to get. It was just get a degree and that's it. So I basically just did what I was vaguely interested in, which was space. I thought space is cool uh, and I was good at physics, so it made sense. Turns out when you get to university and you dive into that subject for more than a couple of years, uh, it all turns into maths. It's all just sums and really, really horrible sums as well. <laughs> So I didn't I didn't enjoy that degree at all, to be honest, um, after a couple of years, certainly. Um, but do you know what? That kind of it, it's, it kind of comes around because that's why I'm really enjoying doing hostile worlds now, because the stuff that I was interested in didn't come into the degree of astrophysics much at all. It wasn't like a kind of larger picture, exploring worlds. It was barely anything on planets or things like that. It was like I say, it was all kind of really heavy theory and really heavy maths so it's cool to get to go back and do it in a more fun way now yeah how have how have you fallen in love with the discipline again i've always been interested i've always i've always loved um you know thinking about the way the world works and uh what's out there and all that kind of stuff and thinking about other planets and it's just something that really interests me. And the whole idea of being able to write these episodes, like I love creating stuff as well. So I love stories and I love creating and fantasy and sci-fi. And so being able to sort of mix the two together and the fact that I'm a kind of teacher at heart as well. I mean, that's kind of my, that's my job background, I suppose. It seems to be able to tie a bunch of stuff together that I really enjoy. The teaching aspect, thinking about space, writing stories about it. And also this whole new discipline of, of trying, I wouldn't say acting, I would say attempting to act, but I'm kind of learning that as we go along and um, and tying those all together. It's just really good fun, just really enjoying it. Matthew, when did you first fall in love with space? I'm going to ask that question again because of the hammering. Matthew, when did you first fall in love with space? I think I've, I've always been fascinated with it. I probably can't point to a particular uh, time where I, I thought, uh, I am now in love with space. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I sort of told the story in Hostile Worlds of um, a particular fascination with with Titan. And, you know, that whole thing about it was this world or this moon in our solar system that we didn't know anything about, you know, coming from this generation where they, we'd been to the moon and all this and, and not not a whole lot was, was sort of happening in space and to have this sort of moon in the solar system that they, they didn't know anything about and to go through the process of like the Cassini-Huygens probe was approaching it and I followed it very closely and um, I talked about you had all these artists impersonations of what might be under the surface they were all very exaggerated but um, I was just so excited to find out about this place and it, it just really stuck with me. And I mean, not just Titan, I'm, I'm fascinated with space on a whole and, and you know, the, the, the sort of um, what's out there, what goes beyond our solar system and, and things like that. So I do, um, 
particularly now that I'm doing Hostile Worlds as well, I've really ramped up on the, the sort of stuff that I'm consuming to do with space. I got a I got a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is obviously written for the layman, but deGrasse Tyson's version of a layman and my version of a layman are very different because this book was still too over my head. And I thought I was clever, but obviously not. Um, started watching Cosmos as well, uh, again, the Neil deGrasse Tyson version, and was delighted to see the similarities between Hostile Worlds and it, given that I hadn't seen Cosmos uh, when I wrote Hostile Worlds. So it was kind of good validation, I guess, to, to, to see the parallels there. Um, I'd always heard the sort of comparisons, and, and that, that, that got me interested to go and check it out, so... Don't watch a lot of telly, but that is definitely good telly. How did you decide on the format for Hostile Worlds? How would you define drama-mentary as a genre? I think that was your word, wasn't it, Matthew? <laughs> yeah, we. I remember us having a, a conversation about this, Colin, because we we wanted to involve experts in the show. We wanted to do interviews and kind of place these interviews into the story world, and we were we were kind of discussing like how are we going to do this because you can't really go and and speak to like a professor or something like that and and ask him or her to act because they they maybe haven't done any acting before you they just want to do an interview with you so we thought about like okay let's do some interviews and let's see if we could build this into the story world by just playing clips of it. We could say that um, we're speaking to somebody on Earth or something like that. So we, we kind of tossed around all these sort of ideas to to involve these interviews. And I think we ended up um, kind of veering off that and just, you know, I think we've, we've still only done two interviews, wrote a lot of stuff ourselves, and now we've got uh, David Alt involved as well. We've had a couple of other guest writers. Robert did one for us. But now having David Alt involved he's another um qualified astrophysicist so i'm like one of the one of the few non-astrophysicists on the team now myself and sarah golding <laughs> so yeah initially in a long-winded way answering your question initially we were going to do interviews and try and get them into the story world somehow and we've just kind of veered off and done this weird hybrid thing where we're doing a drama but presenting four or five interesting hopefully interesting facts in the episodes i still like the idea of tying in the the interviews i always liked the idea of being able to talk back to earth so that was the that was the principle like they were talking on the on the radio to us and guiding us around for example sure but it turns out that you give a scientist some latitude a researcher some latitude to speak and they just go on and on and on and it's quite hard to edit down isn't it? so it's much easier to actually write the script and do it ourselves and put in the bits that we know are interesting to the layman, as you would say. Yeah, so I think that's probably why we've ended up going that way a bit more. And the the issues as well with, like, there's a lot of top-calibre interviewees out there that we potentially could get, but it's the age-old podcaster problem of, okay, we're going to do this remote recording, how good is their audio going to be? Because that could be a battle even when you're recording podcasts with other podcasters and other audio producers. So, you know, getting somebody, a lot of people who aren't really, you know, they aren't interested in audio or podcasting, they might just do the interview on the phone because they think nothing of it. And, and we're actually needing a decent level audio to stick in this 
um, highly produced audio drama. So that brought its own issues as well. Like what the last interview I did was at St Andrews, and I was able to go there and record it myself, which was decent. Oh, that's you. You picked up Schultz in person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's he's based in Fife too. But Alex Alex Hayes that we interviewed about Titan, he's at Cornell out in the states. And he literally was on the phone and it was just fortunate that we could kind of, you know, we, we, we pretended it was this sort of tape that we were playing. And I think we managed to just about pull it off. So what did you feel that you could do in a broader creative narrative nonfiction style that other more staid forms wouldn't have allowed you to do? I guess um, paint the picture of these worlds that we were visiting. Like I was I was really interested in exploring uh, soundscapes because for the past few years like I I got this uh, Robert and I bought a pretty expensive um, sound library four or five years ago which had a lot of really great ambiences and stuff like that and um, I would find myself between projects just messing about with this sound library and creating these soundscapes of nothing in particular just like um, layering sound upon sound and um, visualizing these like strange sort of Lovecraftian universes and I thought that'd be really cool just to put a narrative over that and describe something I think that would work really well and I think that kind of factored into Hostile Worlds too just that people really want to visualize things like space and other planets and stuff like that and just with some um, little uh, stimuli if you like you could really help them towards you know just painting these uh, pictures in their mind and obviously we always say it but to do that visually is a a very expensive process that takes a lot of resources yeah it's also the kind of the classic um you know you can create someone in a film visually but it never it never quite matches what that person is gonna think of in their own head anyway but let them go wild with their imagination and it actually gives the bit of their own context in there as well which engages them even more um, I think on top of that as well, part of the reason we wanted to do it this way is because, you know, you're always looking for your your unfair advantage, aren't you? You're always looking for the way that you can add a unique slant on it. And we knew that we had a kind of a unique combination here in that we had Matthew's really sort of extensive soundscape and audio engineering side of things. Like he could create these great sounding places, but we also had... Um, the sort of science behind it like uh, not that I've got that much expertise but you know can at least point towards the scientists and stuff like that and give it some background checking and stuff like that and then we've also got a bunch of actors that Matthew's in contact with as well so there's just something around creating this sort of semi-dramatized version that seemed like it would work really well and really just add a bit of you know fun and entertainment like the, the sort of comedy aspect that's the I mean I think that's the other unfair advantage you listen to <laughs> some of Matthew's shows like um, the Scottish podcast and it's it's all humor it's all kind of that uh, sort of darkish Scottish humor it, like if you listen to one of the hostile worlds episode for example I get blown up <laughs> and so it's putting in our own humor to it as well which I think makes a big difference so there's a big combination of things there which I think gives it that unique slant that I don't think any other show would have on the same subject. So so this this reminds me of a question that I have down at the end of the list that I want to just hop to, which is that there are a lot of science fiction audio drama podcasts, or audio dramas generally, that take place in space. This program, right, Kraken Mare, Wolf 359, Mars Fall, Mars Corp. 
Girl in Space, Mission to Zix, Starship Iris, We Fix Space Junk, on and on and on, going back to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and X-1. I wanted to ask you, what do you think accounts for that? What, what do audio dramatists find so compelling about space? Is it something in the fact that basically if you're involved in audio engineering and, and that kind of stuff, uh, that you're a bit of a geek and sci-fi tends to appeal to that type of person? <laughs> there's certainly an aspect of that. Like you get into audio because there's a lot of gadgets and stuff and, and you're in, often into the science side of things as well as the creative. Like it's a way of being creative while uh, using a lot of technology, basically. Um, so there's that kind of combination, I think. And I definitely there's a, there's a kind of personality that that appeals to, isn't there? So... Maybe something in there. I'm not sure. What do you think, Matthew? I think there's a there's also an aspect of escapism because it's it's easy for people to sort of get a bit bogged down in in the sort of day to day troubles of the world. People can get a bit down about all the the stuff that maybe goes on, and to look at space, they they always say you know anytime you're feeling down, go outside and and just look at the sky because the the sheer awesomeness of the sky just reminds you of sort of how small and uh, futile but not in a bad way so how small and futile <laughs> we all are um, or certainly how futile our troubles might be in the grand scheme of things so maybe it's just this case of like you know taking your story into space where it's limitless and you can create all sorts of things all sorts of worlds um it's it's that escapism it's kind of like fantasy i suppose in a, in a in a sort of different way so i think there's that element to it certainly the element of of escapism yeah and there's the just what you mentioned there as well the fact that there's no limits at all is there like you write a story on earth or or even in fantasy like you're looking kind of back like you might be able to put monsters and dragons in and stuff but still you could argue there's limits in there but put it 100 years 200 years a thousand years in the future in space on a different planet you can basically make up anything can't you like some of the sci-fi stories out there are absolutely mental and you can paint even better pictures and audio, I think, based on that. Do you think there's anything especially dramatic about space? Like, inherently? Yeah, I, th- I think just the sheer scale of it is dramatic. It's the fact that there's something dramatic about the fact that we can't imagine it. It's beyond imagination, like the the distances involved, the the the, the concepts involved, like, like thinking of even someone like Jupiter, the fact that it's a planet that's just made of gas, you can't even imagine going down into that the fact that if you're sort of you delve into jupiter you get further and further down like happened to the space probe they shot into it just recently it actually got crushed because of the pressure but it's just gas like that's just it doesn't it doesn't make sense to us really <laughs> sure <laughs> we have no experience of that whatsoever so i think that's probably where the drama comes from in a lot of ways it's just that completely alien unimaginable aspect to it so colin You've got a doctorate in online education. Uh, can you explain maybe some of the pedagogical principles you've applied in creating this show? <laughs> There's a question. Um, do you know what my kind of main pedagogical principles are, if you want to go into the science side of it, is that there's a, there's a couple of things involved. Like when you're teaching adults, um, they need to know what the uh, the benefit is of learning. Like you need to know where you're going. Uh, and a lot of people don't do this. They they don't sort of say where you're going to go. They don't give those signposts as to what you're going to teach. And I think in hostile worlds, we often do that quite well. Like we make sure to do a really good intro. We make sure to sort of guide people along. Clarity, I mean, is something that people 
don't even think about enough. Like often you'll find that when you, like you talked just a minute ago, Matthew, about that Neil deGrasse Tyson show where, um, Tyson, sorry, show where uh, it goes above your head, even though he's writing for the layman. And that happens so often in science-based education because it's often a bit of an ego thing, even without thinking about it. People want to sound smart, basically. And you end up using jargon, you end up using slightly larger words than you would normally. You're, you're trying to justify yourself, basically. And I think we could have fallen into that trap a little bit with hostile worlds and that we're trying to make sure that people know that we know it all. In fact, Matthew and I talked about this a couple of times, like who, who are we really to be teaching people about space? But actually we're, we're in a good position to do it because we've got a bit of background in it at least. We can do the research on it. We can get it cross-checked by other people, but mainly we're interested ourselves. So we know what we want to learn and we can keep it simple enough that it still appeals to that mass market, like so that people can actually understand it. So I think... My main pedagogical principle I took from education was always around clarity, around simplicity, around learner first. It's learner focused learning, which sounds really obvious, but so many teachers don't do it. So many teachers, it's a bit unfair in the way, but like subconsciously they're teaching in a way because they want to justify themselves, like to make themselves sound like the authority. So you take yourself out of it, think of the learner first, make sure everything's focused right towards them. And that's much more effective. Sure. And to give it a little bit more context, Colin, your your PhD is specifically focused on adult, like entrepreneurial education, right? That's that's sort of the origins of the podcast host, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's basically the, the doctorate I did was around how to teach businesses most effectively, actually, because it was um it was trying to look at how to how to teach busy people. That was the, the sort of core of it. It's how to help people who have no time to learn. Um, how do you help those people to learn? <laughs> so it was figuring out how to make something engaging enough, simple enough, quick enough, but still to teach people quite effectively. So yeah, that was the kind of principles. But it applies to just about anything. It applies, we've used it in university teaching with students. I've talked to people about using it in work-based learning and teaching children. So it applies everywhere, I think. It's about keeping things simple and making it engaging, I think. Matthew, how do you think about getting the ideas across? coming from a less formalized education background. Yeah, I suppose like my my approach to making audio drama, and I know this isn't a completely fictional podcast, but uh, my approach to making podcasts has just been what are the shows I would like to listen to, and that's that's kind of how I make them. So from a really selfish point of view, I just thought like this show would be cool I'd really like to listen to it I'm just going to kind of make it to please myself and hopefully other people like it too you know it was it was kind of the same when when Robert and I started the audio drama production podcast about four or five years ago we just thought like it'd be really cool if there was an audio drama production podcast but there isn't so let's make one so (laughs) yeah that's that's kind of been my approach is just like what would I like to listen to if it's not been done, can I do it? And uh, hopefully, you know, well, I mean, we know that other people are enjoying it, which is immensely satisfying. Are there other topics you think you'd like to teach using this format? Yeah, we, um, we, we funnily enough, we had a discussion yesterday because we're, we're so, sort of throwing some different podcasts and ideas around. Um, so yeah, th- there's a, there's a few things, Colin, that we're, mutually interested in isn't there beer was one of them 
Um, <laughs> sea monsters was another thing. Uh, poetry, yeah. believe it or not, was another thing. Um, so we're, we're chucking around all sorts of ideas. People could steal them now because I've uh, said them on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> Just giving them away. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. The original idea for Hostile Worlds, actually, it was firstly based around space, wasn't it? But actually, we talked about a bunch of other types of hostile worlds that we'd like to explore. So the Tardigrade might be... Uh, Maybe going, well, to spoiler here, but maybe going back in time uh, at one point to visit some certain uh, scaly monsters from Earth's past. Or even things like, you know, just under the sea, like uh, deep down in the sea or top of Mount Everest or something. You know, places uh, on Earth as well or elsewhere that are similarly hostile to deep depths of space. Yeah, under the ice caps as well. Whilst they're still around, we could do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that'd be, yeah, be cool to... There's loads of places I think that we can explore. I even had an idea that I wanted to do one about the um, the inside of the human body. Pretend that we are a, a virus and that uh, the inside of the human body is a hostile world for, for a virus and just uh, act out how that would happen. That's wild. I think as well, like the the kind of approach with the episodes and again you know we've had we've had multiple writers uh creating these episodes but the essence of it really is to try and not overload the listener with facts and information like we want to we want to provide them with loads of really interesting facts we we want to give them the sort of facts that people are going to tell their friends about in the pub on a Friday night, you know, they've listened to the podcast maybe that morning going to their work and they're like, by the way, did you know that, um, you know, there's this probe on Titan? Do you know that Titan is the only place with surface water that we know of for sure? And um, the facts about Venus, the facts about deep space. But it's really like, it's about, I think, identifying three or four key facts that you want to hit, um, key things that are really interesting, and then just creating a bit of a narrative around it and again the stories you know it's not Tolkien they're not um they're not these huge sweeping story arcs that are meant to be they don't have a whole amount of purpose they're just meant to be light and entertaining and easy to follow and just this sort of way of getting these uh, facts and these soundscapes through the the listeners ears as well uh, and I, I think as well you know what we've been really lucky to have uh We've got Sarah Golding and, and David Alt have come on board and they've been doing the bulk of the voice acting work because they are actual real voice actors. They've been jumping on uh, Skype. And, and Unlike us. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they, they just work really, really well together and it's something that they've obviously trained that way. As Colin and I, it takes us a long, long time to muddle together something that we're reasonably happy with so um i think they've got a really good dynamic and i think they're doing a, a really good job on the show so i wanted to ask you both uh if there was a i guess matthew we've kind of answered yours and, and it's titan do you each have a favorite place you'd most want to visit in the solar system so matthew perhaps titan aside yeah um I guess I'm I'm still fascinated with that sort of region. So you've you've got the other moons out there as well, the other icy moons, and they they do talk about that being the I don't know if likely is the right word, but it's a very reasonable chance that life could exist in some form out that way. So um, you know, either that or or sort of one of the gas giants as well. Just uh, just happy to get off this world really and see what else is out there. <laughs> Colin, what about you? I think, I mean, I, I, I would love to go to the mall. <laughs> I, 
I, I am unfeasibly excited at the possibility that we might actually really genuinely be able to go to Mars within my lifetime. Like the, the sort of Elon, Elon Musk's crazy plan of uh, creating actual spaceships that will go to Mars quite soon, to be honest. Not even within my lifetime, but like within the next decade. Uh, and I'm sure it won't be like a, a sort of average passenger journey within the next decade. But I could see like by the time you know, I'm 60, 70 years old, that actually people can pay a reasonable sum. Maybe maybe it would be a mortgage, but it's still like, you know, if it was your life stream to do it, you could go and just visit Mars and there'll be actual uh, colonies up there that you can spend time there and have a wee holiday. And I imagine it'd be someone like, yeah, you know, that kind of um, visiting a farm uh, and working on a farm to pay your stay when you're a, a student and pretending you're all... Uh, you know, hipster and stuff like try to do that. I imagine it'd be like that. You'd have to go up to Mars and like farm some rock or something to pay your way, but uh, but be worth it. So I, I know it's um, kind of cliche, but I think just because the fact that that might actually happen, I think Mars would be a, a yeah, sort of top of the list. Do you think you could each actually, in point of fact, stand to leave Earth and colonize a new planet? Do you know what? I've, I've talked to my wife about this a bunch of times because I... Uh, I follow the SpaceX work quite closely. And so I tell her about it all the time. And she's asked me that as well. I, no, I don't think so. I, I, I get bored too quickly. Part of the reason I do the job that I do. <laughs> so I would love to go. I, I think I could do the, like, so, I mean, they're talking about maybe you could get there in six months. So you'd have to spend six months on a spaceship in the first place. That would drive you crazy. Um, and then maybe you'd have to be there for six months, a year, two years to make it worth it. So you're talking about three years of your life, aren't you? So, yeah. I mean, you've got a PhD. You've already done it. <laughs> um, do you know what? If I was given the chance to go to the moon, I would do that in a second. That's a week of your life. And that would be absolutely amazing to do. But yeah, it would be a much more uh, <laughs> serious prospect, giving up three years of your life, most of which would be complete and utter boredom because you're just staring at the inside of a spaceship. It's cool for the first week. And then after a week, you're like, yeah, still the same spaceship, still the same space outside. <laughs> Matthew, what about you? Uh, no, I, I mean, I've I've just sort of slagged Earth off, but um, I think Earth is a, a very beautiful planet and I do actually quite like it here. There's a lot of variety, you know, we've got, um, I, I really like the sun, uh, which is weird staying in Scotland, but, um, you know, the, just the, the sheer variety. I've, I've had the fortune to travel to a few different countries and see different things and I'll, I'll never sort of tire of that. Um, and just the, the, the sort of beauty of nature we've got here on Earth, um, there's a lot of things out there to be enjoyed. And I think leaving the planet, you know, you, what you're, what you're going to get, it's obviously on the one hand very exciting, but I think everything eventually becomes normal, they say, doesn't it? So um, once you're bored on yeah. Mars, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's not much variety up there, so... Yeah, I, d I don't know if I could do it. Uh, I don't think I could, to be honest. I'll, I'll st stick to doing it in audio. Yeah, we need to wait until something like the tardigrades actually built, whereby you can get to Saturn in like three days. So actually, it's only a wee bit of boredom, but getting to see someone absolutely amazing when you get there, as opposed to the, well, I don't know, it'd be years to get to Saturn just now. So yeah, has to speed. we have to speed things up a little bit first. 
Well, I've been thinking about this a lot as, you know, as you said, as SpaceX and other private space transport concerns grow more and more feasible, I've been starting to think about and try to critique the basis of manned space exploration and colonization. Like, isn't it a bit strange politically to be a settler colonist on a on a new planet? Like, is that really any different than being a settler colonist on Earth? I think I think it is. I do think it is because it's there's something I mean, maybe it's the same as we've just been talking about. It, it is very different the first time it happens, but then suddenly a year later it is normal. So maybe it becomes less uh, weird. But there's something very, I mean, the humans are always less, aren't they? You want to go somewhere that's new. You want to discover something first. You want to be the first, even if it's a first group to get up there, if you're on the first hundred people that get somewhere. So, um, and breaking new ground and stuff like that, you know, people would go to so much lengths just to get a piece of land. And, you know, when, when the US was settled, like getting across to the West Coast where you are, I mean, the people went to so much lengths to get across there to get land there and all that kind of stuff so there's definitely someone in just the way we are built isn't there that we want to do that to get places first to break new ground to build i don't know that that's universal to i mean a, a lot of historians now view like the ground where i am sitting on now as stolen right mm -hmm. I, i'm not sure it's it's universal I don't know. Back me up, Matt. You've got a hammer and sickle tattoo. <laughs> Tell anyone. You'll get me on some sort of list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, like Colin said, a, a lot of lot of humans um, have got the old dopamine thing of discovering stuff, uh, which drives them. Some people are, are rich enough maybe to, to follow these uh, hobbies full time like uh, the old guy who's trying to get to Mars. But I suppose, like, from a more noble uh, point of view, like, humans, if we're to survive, are going to have to leave Earth because Earth's not going to be around forever. So, you know, collectively as a race, not competing against each other, but cooperating with each other, we're going to have to expand our horizons, quite literally, and go to new worlds if we want to, if we want to survive, basically. Whether or not that's the right thing to do, I suppose, is a moral question, but that's definitely definitely above my pay grade, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's there's definite, like, my example of the US maybe isn't a great one because there were people there already, but, like, you're going to Mars. You hope we're not going to take over anyone else's land. So uh, you'd hope that is less moralistic and more just about the exploration. And the, I, like you say, Matthew, it's... Uh, what Elon Musk calls it, backing up the human race. We need a backup somewhere else in case the Earth gets blown up by a meteorite, never mind uh, um, goes extinct in however many million years that it'll take before the sun uh, <laughs> turns itself off. I guess my question is, what's to prevent Mars from becoming another repeat of the mistakes made on Earth? That's something I've been thinking about, especially in the context of the new Lost in Space series that came out. I was watching that and it was, I don't know if either of you have seen any of it. No. I've seen part of the first episode. Uh, so I don't know the what plays out there, but I can kind of imagine. <laughs> well, there's kind of this weird eugenics program. Like you have to be a certain level of, of fitness and acceptable and able in order to even qualify for the mission. And so that just means that most of everybody is stranded on Earth to die. Yeah, yeah. And there's this like weird racist utopia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
there's also like the the whole um question of you know the the way our biology will change on other worlds as well because of things like gravity and pressure isn't there i mean colin you you know more about this than i do but uh, a, a a sort of second generation human martian um is going to start to to change in certain physiological ways aren't they yeah they say uh well lower gravity you become kind of more spindly and tall basically and if you're on a higher gravity planet you'll turn into a um a little stocky short guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i think i mean i i'm generally optimistic i know this is maybe uh, not played out in history or even current events, but I'm generally optimistic <laughs> about human beings um, and that we made the mistakes. We've made a bunch of mistakes on Earth. You're absolutely right. Like we've kind of screwed up a lot of stuff. Um, I would hope that we could go somewhere else and at least have learned from some of them. And um, I mean, I, I, there's the kind of whole argument around history, like the, the mistakes that we have repeated, a lot of them could have been avoided if we knew more about what had happened elsewhere in the world. And that has only happened in the last, you know, 100 years, hasn't it? That you you know much about the rest of the world. So now that we know about what has happened, we know about all of the histories around the world and we can learn from all of them and what's happened over the last 10,000 years as opposed to just what's happened in your local community. You'd hope that we can use that to be better whenever we go next. Hey, an optimistic and compelling argument. <laughs> I think we need to we need to just ban social media on other worlds yes. and we'll get on a lot better. That is a good idea. <laughs> yep. Social media and uh, and maybe maybe technology in general, eh? Like no uh, screens. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll go back to the simple lifestyle, simple farming. Yeah. You can listen to things, obviously. Like audio's fine. So it's to, into the ears is all good, but it's the screens that are ruining uh, yeah, get rid of our competition basically. I like the idea of a space navigator trying to land like a an Earth to Mars transit vehicle just using a sextant. <laughs> it's like, sorry guys, can't use the the, the navigation display. Yeah, yeah. Pen and paper, lads. <laughs> yeah. Or do it audio way. You could just act like a bat. Basically, we're listening to the sonar, you're listening to the uh, the beeps and clicks coming back at you. You try <laughs> the air traffic controller's just like warmer, warmer. Exactly, yeah. Are you guys not just uh, sort of coming up with some sort of steampunk story? All, all you need now is, um, what's it they do in the steampunk? They wear like goggles on top hats and that completes the look. <laughs> yeah, so, and big beards. We've got ourselves a steampunk audio drama now. <laughs> Love it. We'll sail through the luminiferous aether that connects all of the planets in the uh, in the Milky Way <laughs> in a ship that runs on phlogiston. Nice. <laughs> You're just going to start making up um, Firefly again, which is fine by me because I would like another Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was fun, guys. Thank you so much. Cool. No, thanks for having us on. It's been great fun. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Hostile Worlds is a wholly unique audio drama hybrid compared to its contemporaries. The show itself taps into some sort of nostalgia from my childhood, reminding me of the occasional Saturday afternoon special that acted as a piece of children's entertainment and incepting us with actual learning whether we wanted said knowledge or not. As strange of a compliment as that is, I find the existence of such a piece of entertainment expanding your knowledge a fun proposition. Comforting, in fact. Now, you could subscribe to Hostile Worlds via iTunes, Google Play, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. You know, while you're at it, you may want to consider subscribing to this very show and quite possibly taking the time to rate and review us on iTunes. Would you like to maybe 
take this relationship, you know, one step farther? Because I would. To the, uh, you know, next level, as it were. I'm feeling it's the right time. Well, I'm glad. Visit our Patreon page, and that's over at Patreon at P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Radio Drama Revival, and become a supporter of the show. For your contributions, we'll repay you with extra material from the show, and, quite possibly, more. Sounds like a hell of a deal. And now, the credits. Our theme music is Danger Didgeridoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find him over on SoundCloud. Interview producer was played by Eli McElveen. Associate producer was played by Sean Howard. The show's researchers were played by Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. Line producer was played by Matthew Boudreaux. Executive producer was played by Fred Greenhalgh. The part of social media manager and temporary host was played by me, James Oliva. This has been Radio Drama Revival. Storytellers welcome. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.